Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another awesome episode of the Biff Bites podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Mee, and joined by my trusty co-host today, Mr. Mike Long. How you doing, Mike? Jerry, it's good to be in here with you today. It's been a while since I've been on the, the old uh, podcast deal, and I, uh, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I was going to say it's been a bit since you and me got a chance to sit down and chat. So I'm glad to have you here. And we got a cool topic to talk about today. We're going to dive right into the wonderful world of spousal IRAs. Spousal IRAs. It's one of those things that I think we all feel like, oh, yeah, I know all that. Yeah, right. (laughs) And then sometimes it's like, well, maybe not so much. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. Especially, you know, for financial advisors who have practiced in for, you know, have a few years under their belt. They, you know, IRAs are their bread and butter. They they've seen it all. They know all about it. It's fine. They don't need to think about it. And then they kind of get hit with some uh, some blind sides, uh, some parts of it that they they weren't actually that familiar with. And that's really what we wanted to dive in today. Yeah, and they still have their place. You know, I think that uh, they're they're not as favorable, perhaps, to a lot of folks now because of all the options at work people have. But but you know, in their own regard, they they have a nice place still in in uh, in one's retirement planning portfolio. So it's good for us all to stay up on on at least the basics. Mm-hmm. Right, and I I I gotta say too, probably. Just with uh, changing demographics, the spousal IRA is, is certainly, you know, lowered in popularity over the years, especially now that, you know, the majority of American households are dual income households. Uh, you know, most most people just end up contributing to their own IRA, whereas the spousal IRA is the kind of the more stereotypical 1950s idea of, you know, one spouse going to work and the other spouse being kind of a a homemaker. Yeah, exactly. Um, And and it'll be interesting to see uh, if if such data exists, like uh, if there was any uptick in IRAs through this whole pandemic period where uh, maybe folks didn't have as much income from work if they were impacted by that, but still had enough uh, earned income to, to take advantage of an IRA uh, and, and fully deduct it. It'll, it'll be interesting. I don't know where we would find exactly that data, but. Uh, yeah, that, be- that is a good point. You know, the, it, we might be seeing a resurgence of spousal IRAs because I do know quite a few people, like you said, Mike, that, you know, because of the pandemic, they decided that, you know, hey, it actually makes more sense for, you know, one of us to actually stay at home, you know, take care of the kids full time, especially when the kids can't go to school, you know, they're doing home learning, I uh, can't send them to daycare. So, you know, maybe it actually makes sense for, you know, one spouse to kind of be that homemaker. And now all of a sudden spouse IRA is a very real possibility for those people, and they may not even know it. Yeah, good point. And then, you know, you, you keep hearing, um, of all the career changers and, you know, people deciding, you know what, I, uh, I don't want to do that job anymore. (laughs) Uh, And, uh, and they're in the process of changing, but they still had some earned income, uh, you know, so yeah. um, We, I think it's important to still pay attention to this because we may have different opportunities or needs for clients right now. Yeah. Uh, before we get too far down into the rabbit hole, why don't you give our listeners uh, just kind of a brief synopsis of what a spousal IRA is in case, you know, maybe they're new to the industry. 
Sure. Um, a spousal IRA just in general is, um, is a situation in which we have um, one spouse um, who has earned income, uh, but uh, the other spouse does not. Mm-hmm. And in those situations, um, the spouse without earned income can essentially um, make IRA contributions on based on the other spouse's uh, compensation income. So they're still eligible mm-hmm. uh, to make a contribution um, to, to, to the fullest. If there's enough you know, income to go around for uh, both of them, they could still make that contribution. And uh, perhaps it's deductible. We can get into that. Uh, but worst case scenario is it's, it's all tax deferred. Um, but that's the scenario when you hear spousal IRA, you're talking about uh, qualifying on the basis of the, the other spouse's um, compensation income for the year. Yep, exactly. You know, one of the big requirements to make an IRA contribution is you need to have earned income in order to do it. Uh, with the one big exception being that, you know, if you're a homemaker, you stay at home with the kids, uh, but your your spouse bring home, brings home the bacon, you know, you can still uh, make that contribution into an IRA in your name, uh, you know, using your spouse's, uh, you know, income as, as the qualifier. Yep, exactly. So that just generically is the term that's thrown around uh, out there, but that's what they're referring to if you hear, if you hear spousal IRA. Yep. And uh, it, it surprisingly does cause some confusion with, uh, with students um, just because, you know, like we said, it's, especially these days, it's not something you run into all the time anymore, but there are definitely a few out there. Uh, you know, I've talked to students who, you know, have clients with spousal IRAs. Um, you know, what are kind of the, the big confusions and mix-ups people get with the spousal IRAs? Well, aside from the, um, you know, who's eligible, um, uh, the biggest thing, the, the biggest thing that I see is it really revolves around the deductibility. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with with enough spousal income to 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 make both contributions or just the spousal contribution. Um, the next piece of it is how much, if any, of that contribution is deductible. That seems to be where the most confusion uh, is. It's never an issue with traditional IRAs aside from the income qualification on whether a contribution can be made. Uh, the issue is, can I deduct it? Yeah. Cause I, I find that's a point I really have to drive home with students is that um, you can always make a traditional IRA contribution. You can always add money into the account as long as you have earned income. That is you can always make the contribution. The big question always comes is, can you deduct it? Because that's honestly the main reason why we make these contributions. Yeah, saving is great, but a lot of us we really like that tax write-off every year. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point, and and, and a lot would argue that um, uh, why would you do a non-deductible traditional IRA contribution if your income mm-hmm. does not exceed the uh, phase-out threshold for a Roth? Because yeah. uh, if you're not going to deduct the contribution, then, uh, it, you know, Roth's probably the way to go just to be able to hopefully take it all out tax free later. Whereas the best case scenario for the traditional IRA is tax deferred. 
but there's going to be ordinary income taxes on the way out of uh, all the gain that's happened over the years. So it's it's you call a timeout, I think, yeah, and explore a little bit further. Okay, so we're looking at a non-deductible contribution. Um, mm, let's look at a let's look at a Roth. Uh, but most of this, as you say, is just going to revolve around uh, can can I deduct that contribution that's going in? Right. Now, uh, I don't really want to get into the numbers so much just because with the rate that this stuff changes, this episode would be uh, out of date within uh, a couple of months <laughs> <laughs> when the new limits get uh, released. But suffice it to say that, you know, if you're household makes too much, you know, you don't get to deduct the, uh, the contribution, um, but you can still make it. And um, people will do that, uh, especially also if they're outside of the phase out for the, uh, the Roth IRA as well. Um, You know, that, that especially is a reason why they'll uh, contribute uh, to it. But then to add another layer of complexity onto it, we also have the participation rules that lower the phase out amounts. (laughs) Yeah, and that's that's the most confusing thing about it all is this active participant status. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, one spouse or both spouses may be considered active uh, participants, um, but it's really important with these uh, deduction phase outs. And the the most confusing scenario in practice seems to be when, one spouse has is an active participant. And this kind of makes sense if you think about it in the spousal IRA context that you have one spouse who's um, uh, you know, bringing in the earned income and the other spouse for whatever reason perhaps is not right now. Um, so the most confusing thing is where do those thresholds fall based on that active participation? And and in that scenario where one spouse is an active participant um, at, at a plan at work, and then one is not, there are really two thresholds in play. Uh, and, and that's the piece I see that confuses um, a lot of us. A lot of the time is like, oh, mm-hmm. which phase out do I use? But there's mm-hmm. two of them in play when you have that scenario. Yeah. So first of all, you have to just look at the overall income. And handle, handle, you don't need to memorize any of these phase out limits because the CFP board provides it on the, uh, the handout sheets. So none of this you ever have to memorize. You can just check it right on the handout sheet. And then if you're dealing with real clients, you know, Google is a few quick keystrokes away if you ever forget. Um, but yeah, so first of all, you have to, you know, look up at the overall income level to make sure you're not over that thresholds. And then, if the you know uh, breadwinner spouse is actively participating in a retirement plan at work, such as you know a four hundred one k, you then have to realize oh that now changes it. You also have to check the uh, re- you know participation phase outs and make sure you're not over that limit as well. Exactly, and the um, that active participation thing can be uh, a booby trap. <laughs> um, and because it really is if any kind of contribution or, or benefit is accrued at the plan, doesn't matter how much for the year. Mm-hmm. If there was a contribution, then that person is, a, is an active participant. Um, so you have to be careful with that and advising it because someone might have a profit sharing plan at work. 
and um, profits uh, and business wasn't good enough to have a big contribution. And, and all the person got for the year in their account was a reallocated forfeiture. I, and, I, I believe, Mike, you, you told me that story. That happened to you in your younger years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like a yeah. forfeiture of like $6. And because of it, you couldn't make an IRA contribution because you counted as uh, being a participant. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, you just have to beware of what active participant means. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're right, the sequence you're laying out is perfect because then you want to look at that. And then you want to uh, look at these um, uh, modified adjusted gross income thresholds that that apply. And so the active participant spouse, um, has a much lower threshold uh, under the married filing uh, jointly threshold than does the non-active participant spouse. So the one um, that we would be doing the spousal IRA for, that threshold is significantly higher. Yeah, just, uh, I know I didn't said I didn't want to give specific numbers, but just to give kind of a rough ballpark here for the married uh, filing jointly participating spouse, it's about uh, the threshold is uh, roughly about 100,000, whereas for the spousal IRA, it's roughly about 200,000. So the limit's doubled for the spousal. So even if you're not able to, uh, you know, if you're an active participant in a uh, workplace uh, retirement plan and you're not able to make a uh, contribution into your own IRA that's deductible, you still may be able to make a spousal IRA contribution if your spouse is not working. Yeah, and that, uh, I don't know if this will ever change, but that that non-active participant high threshold um, has been to this point the same as the uh, threshold for Roth contribution. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's kind of an easy one to remember if you remember one, you know, oh, well, that's also going to apply on the Roth side. And I say that only because if we're getting into the non-deductible IRA, then we're going to certainly analyze Roth and that threshold would be the same for that non-active participant. And then um, there's also confusion around those thresholds. There's a low end and you just gave a nice ballpark of what those uh, beginning threshold uh, phase out levels are. Uh, And then it spreads over a ten or twenty thousand uh, dollar range for the married filing jointly. It's a it's a twenty thousand dollar range, and for the uh, non-active participant spouse, it's a it's a ten thousand dollar range. But it is possible to still have a partial, partially deductible uh, IRA contribution with qualifying income. They can make the full contribution. But let's say their uh, modified adjusted gross income falls halfway between those threshold levels, they could make the full contribution and deduct half of it. Mm-hmm. So let's not forget about that. that don't overlook the, the partially deductible. Yep. Though, thankfully, on the CFP exam, uh, they don't ever make you cal- calculate the, uh, the partial phase outs because <laughs> that, uh, that's another whole, whole thing that you don't have to worry about until you get out there to the real world. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I hope, I hope not. Now, who really gets screwed on this business, as they do in, in a lot of tax break kind of situations, is the married filing separately. For some reason, the IRS just hates that status, and yeah. and that threshold forever. The, I mean, and and I've been doing this a long time, and it's always been that threshold from zero to ten thousand dollars. 
if, yep. if your modified adjusted gross income is is over ten thousand, you're screwed. You could make the contribution, can't deduct it. Well, it's laughable too because the phase out starts at a zero for married filing separately. So it starts at zero. So just and you need to have earned income in order to make a contribution in the first place. So by having earned income, you immediately <laughs> are disqualifying it by yourself from making partial contributions. So basically it's not like zero to ten thousand. In reality, it's more like you know, six to ten thousand because you need to have at least six thousand dollars of earned income in order to make, you know, a six thousand dollar contribution. <laughs> great point, Jerry. Really great point. But I feel badly for that uh, that category. Because it's it's not just spousal IRAs here. It, it, it's there's tax credits, all kinds of things where they just get hammered. I'm like, come on, IRS, lighten up, man. Uh, to in the IRS's defense, though, most people uh, doing married filing separately are individuals, uh, you know, starting the divorce process. So they're probably not too keen on making a spousal IRA contribution in the first place. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I, I guess I'm sympathetically thinking of, but they still need to save for retirement. You know, don't don't right. crash that. Uh, so yeah, that 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 there's some logic to that that you say, but. Uh, you know, that's just another, you need to know uh, from the client, you know, what, what, what are our statuses, where, what, what's happening here, and, uh, and then we can properly uh, advise. The other, the other thing that can be a little confusing um, is that modified adjusted gross income. And th this is another area with, with the uh, revenue code that it's almost like every tax thing <laughs> has its own adjusted gross income definition. Yeah. And, and we need to pay attention to that with the IRA, uh, IRAs because it's not just earnings. Mm -hmm. um, that modified adjusted gross income that's used in these thresholds, um, you have to put back in that, that modified AGI is without regard to the IRA contributions being made. I've been asked that question a lot. Well, but I'm putting in six thousand, so I, I can deduct yeah. that from. The <laughs> I've I've had that I've had that question too, where it's like you know I'm I'm a thousand dollars above the phase out, so if I make a thousand dollar contribution, exactly. does that lower me to the phase? I'm like no, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and, and tax returns get kicked back for that. I imagine on a pretty regular basis of someone thinking they were there. And then there's, um, you know, there's a couple other things that come back into that, but most notably would be um, uh, student loan interest deduction or tuition and fees uh, deduction that has to come back in. So you just have to, again, it, it's all easy to look up. And, and if you're an advisor, you know, heavily into this and uh, want to know more publication, IRS publication 590. Uh, a really just gives you everything you need to know on these. And then uh, 590B is for all the, uh, for the distribution uh, side of it. But those, um, those are probably the most common things in my experience and my experience with CFP students that uh, that's, that's where folks get tripped up. And, yeah. and we'll be emailing us of like, how does that work? Wait a minute. I used the married filing jointly threshold, but that wasn't right. The right answer. Well, you got two thresholds going there. 
Yeah. So I think that that kind of is the, the big takeaway from this is pay attention to, to both thresholds, make sure you're using the right one and, you know, maybe familiarize yourself with spell IRAs a bit more, because like we said, uh, these, these might be a bit more popular this year, uh, you know, with, uh, more and more people just deciding to, you know, be single income households again and seeing that kind of shift in demographics. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's still hot in the news. It seems uh, on a daily or weekly basis where more and more people are choosing not to go back. And uh, so it, it could be a planning opportunity for an advisor um, just to revisit all of this and ask the questions. It's a good to do another review uh, with, with the client. That's always a good thing, right? Yeah. Um, have those conversations with your clients. If they mention, you know, hey, uh, you know, so-and-so is not going back to work, deciding to just, you know, be stay-at-home parent, yep. that, that's your opportunity to kind of dazzle your clients and say, oh, have you heard about this wonderful thing called a spousal IRA? <laughs> exactly. And then this conversation parallels, you know, whether they choose to go uh, for the spousal IRA traditional in hopes of a deduction or the Roth, um, the same kind of, uh, of approaches taken uh, to that with the exception of uh, all these different thresholds because only one threshold would apply um, mm-hmm. for, for the Roth uh, piece, which is um, you know, still decently high for most folks. Uh, but the conversation would be the same as far as, um, you know, being able to utilize the, uh, the other spouses earned income to, to make that contribution. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Any other, uh, points you wanted to make Mike before you wrap it up today? That was on my list. Just, okay. What do I get asked the most <laughs> year yeah. in and year out? And, and that, and that's it, Jerry. I think this just heads up, pay attention, revisit pub 590 and uh, see if there's opportunity uh, to help the client or maybe acquire a new client on, on that discussion. Awesome. Great stuff. Uh, well, thanks everyone for tuning in. If you're looking for some more great content, make sure you check out biffbites.com for the podcast and videos and all the other great material we have on there. And if you have any topics or ideas that you'd like us to touch on, make sure you send it on in to content at bostonifi.com. Thanks. And we'll see you all next time. Thanks, Jerry.